I feel lucky that I get to live authentically. And I think we all want to do that. I think we all want residents in the different parts of our lives. I think as much as we can do that, it leads to more peace and happiness. Welcome to Trauma to Triumph, where our goal is to empower, inspire, and give you the means to stand up, take control of your life while embracing your inner badass. I am thrilled you are here and wanted to be a part of this journey. In our 11th episode, I am beyond excited to introduce to you my client and dear friend, Winona Carbo. I met Winona a few years ago. She was referred to me by one of my clients. She was venturing out for the first time on her own to purchase the business she worked for. Winona is every woman. She's the undercover covert badass. When you meet Winona, she can be quiet, shy, and very, very unassuming. She's a little bit awkward, a little unsure, but what she is sure about is her ability, passion, and love for dogs. We pretty much eloped. She isn't the type to trust easily, but within minutes of meeting me, she gave me access to her life. She trusted me with the process, and with that, the Pandora's box opened to so much more. She went from an amazing trainer making a very modest income to buying her first business with many unknowns to doubling her client base and within two years expanding space and having the ability to pay off her first SBA loan to be in a position to buy her first seven-figure building. When we talk about single parenting, there isn't a truer definition than Winona. She's raised her son on her own while working with dogs, venturing into societal norms to realizing that societal norms suck. She eventually aligned herself with the work she is most passionate about and with very humble beginnings, became what some would call an overnight success. Let's see how she did it. So I am super excited to have Winona Carbo on the phone today. We actually have worked together in my past life in the finance industry, and she owns a Himsa dog school out in Fremont, Washington, which is basically in like the hip part of Seattle. And she has started this journey from working in the school as a dog trainer to pretty much buying the school and expanding it pretty rapidly in the last couple of years. And so I am excited. I am excited to pick her brain and to see what the journey's been like and to just talk about the overall journey and how she got into dog training and all of the fun stuff along the ways, all the learning blunders and the faith and the ruckus um, and some of the, the hangups, but still being able to thrive and doing incredibly well in this space. So Winona, thank you so much for joining me today, and I appreciate your time, and I appreciate you. Yeah, it's great. Um, just to um, clarify, sorry, we're um, a Himsa dog training, and we're in Ballard. So oh. I don't know if we want to start that over. Sorry. Um, <laughs> if people are looking for us, it's, it's a Himsa dog training, we're officially in Ballard. Or Freelard, you could call it Freelard. Freelard. <laughs> um, it's a pretty close mashup of the areas. Yeah. I, I always, I mean, from a person who's on the east side, I'm like, ah, Fremont Valley. Uh, exactly. No, <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. No, it's, it's funny. The city people would be like, it's Ballard. 
Um, but, but yeah, I, you know, you Eastsiders with all that land. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, when you have like such a big building like you have that you only have like two parking spots, you know you're in Seattle. <laughs> totally true. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And where they're like, oh, the parking actually by us is easy, but it's like, that's very relative. isn't it? <laughs> I know. I'm like parking over here. Like we have parking garages. They're all like well over six foot four. My car like parks anywhere. Or it's like, I'm over there. I'm thinking, where do you find parking? Can I just Uber it in? Because this is just too much. <laughs> it's like, why do you think everybody has a Prius? <laughs> right? No kidding. Um, so before we even get started, I always ask my guests, what is one thing nobody really knows about you that's kind of a crazy little hidden gem that you could share with us? Oh, man. Um, a lot of people don't know that um, with my pet sitting business, I sometimes had up to 12 dogs. I guess I don't usually share that because it puts me in that <laughs> crazy dog lady kind of box. Um, but I do remember like holidays, all my holidays, because that's when people traveled. We'd be surrounded. My son just likes to say he was raised by wolves because we'd be surrounded by like between 12 <laughs> to 15 dogs. Um, and it was kind of like that joke with the holiday pictures. It's like, who's that dog in the background kind of thing? Because it would change. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, as a professional dog trainer, um, that, that pet sitting side of me, I usually don't uh, talk about as much. How do you fit? 12 dogs <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a 2,000 square foot house. I know. Uh, well, the first Christmas, obviously, um, I learned after the first Christmas to kind of hand pick who was invited for the holidays. Um, so they were all dogs that got along. And, um, and, and, but you would realize that you never did anything. When you have that many dogs in your house, you never do anything alone. Like there, there is always some furry critter following you from room to room. That is so crazy. I didn't even, I mean, you must have like the patience of a God to be able to have that many dogs in your house and to be able to give them all attention. Yeah. I mean, they, it definitely, um, you know, they, a lot of them played with each other. So that helped. Um, I think it mainly was apparent when you tried to get every, everybody slept in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was mainly apparent when you tried to get everybody a spot, you know, on the bed. That was when it became a, a challenge. So there were definitely a lot of dog beds and dogs who were just like, you know what, this is too crowded. I'm sleeping on the floor. But um, <laughs> that, that's when the 12 dogs to 15 dogs really got to be, uh, you know, kind of like, you know, real estate on the queen size bed got a little tight. So queen bed, dog sitting. And um, how long have you been doing that for before you started working with Ahimsa? Um, so that was when, um, I did that for when my son was like six months old to when he was seven years old. And at seven years old, it just, it became apparent that, you know, there was just less staying at home. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, the pet sitting in the house was, and, and doing a little bit of training, um, was definitely good when I was home a lot with him, but when he became involved in more activities, it kind of conflicted. Um, and I wanted to make sure if I was taking dogs in that they were getting all the time and attention they needed to. Um, so I did that. And then I moved actually, that was in Portland. And then I moved to um, Seattle and it started with a HIMSA dog training when he was in, it took a couple few years. Um, and then I started with a HIMSA dog training in like 2008. 
So when you did a HIMSA dog training, you were in the corporate world, right? Because you said that you did some like recruiting for some large companies. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, I decided to try to, you know, my hand at doing a, you know, quote unquote real job. Um, <laughs> um, and working in an office and um, doing something that I could possibly, you know, build into a more um, secure career. Mm-hmm. Um, and that lasted for a couple of years. That lasted for about three years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love, love, love your journey because um, you went from doing the corporate life, trying it out, trying to do the whole, like what society tells us in terms of adulting. But yeah. you obviously knew that you had a passion for dogs and for training and for sitting. And um, Yeah, and it went way back. I mean, uh, my job in college was dog walking um, for my freshman year of college. Um, I took a year off college to intern at the San Francisco SPCA. Um, I was fostering dogs when I worked my first job out of college um, when I was working at um, a behavioral um, lab um, working with baby monkeys. I was fostering dogs. And then as soon as when that grant ended and that job ended, that's when I went into um, the pet sitting business. But as my son got older, I thought I need something that isn't as you know, home-based. Um, and that's when I tried the corporate world for a few years. What did your son think about it when you were in the corporate world? It wasn't a good match for either one of us. Um, <laughs> the rigidity of the schedule um, was difficult. And while he's not as big a dog lover as I am, I mean, he likes dogs, but he's not passionate about them. Um, he did like, you know, the different creatures, you know, having the different creatures around. Mm-hmm. Um, and also having a mom who was, you know, doing more what she liked. Um, and Isn't that huge? That's yeah. Huge. And that, that's a big piece. Um, he is, I said something about working log hours and he shook his head and said, you've always been a workaholic. It's just a matter of whether you are a happy workaholic or not. You know, <laughs> I was a happier workaholic with it. It's with the dogs. amazing how perceptive our kids are. Yeah. And one of the things that I love about what you just said is that there's so many parents, so many single parents and, you know, even joint household parents that have, you know, mom and dad who are doing jobs that they don't love because they feel like they need to do it to be able to provide for their families. And the amount of love and passion that comes through with what you do and how your son is able to see that and believe in himself in order to go do what he wants to do, right? Because I know that he wants to do some podcasting and some radio stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, It just, it sets the example for going after what you want to do versus going after what society tells you to do. Mm -hmm. And if that's like the only lesson we teach our kids, it's probably one of the most hardcore things that we need to be better about drilling down. They definitely, I mean, it's cliche, but they definitely watch more what you do than what you say. Right. With that being said, I love that I got to be a part of this journey. I love that um, you had decided to, instead of being an employee for Ahimsa, that you decided to buy Ahimsa. Could you tell us about that journey? Um, so the founder of Ahimsa, Grisha Stewart, um, really great trainer, um, written books and is lecturing around the world. Um, as she started lecturing, um, I became more involved kind of in the operations of Ahimsa, um, because she, um, 
moved to Alaska and um, was, you know, on to a lot of, you know, focusing on her empowered animals business. Um, and so as I was taking on more um, classes, teaching more classes and looking at kind of, you know, the, op, you know, just kind of what are we teaching when, um, became more involved kind of in the running of the business. Then when she decided to sell, I really, you know, was interested in purchasing it. I've always believed in Ahimsa. Um, it's a great team of people. Um, a lot of people were saying, well, just, you know, go off and start your own training center rather than purchasing something existing. But it's just, it's the group dynamic and um, the commitment that would be hard, you know, to start over with. Did you have a little bit of fear or hesitation when you decided, because I mean, to go from like a pet training to doing in your house to saying, hey, you know, I'm going to try out the corporate world and to transition to, I'm going to buy this location. It's not a small location by any means. It's like a pretty substantial business. Um, So it wasn't like some mom and pop shop. It was like a legit hardcore business. And for somebody who hasn't had that background, I mean, just for you know, audience sake, there's a lot of women here who love what they do, but don't necessarily have the gonads to say, hey, I'm going to go buy this and I'm going to go do it and I'm going to run it. And I'm going to operate it and you know, take that kind of step to jump into those. I mean, just to jump into that arena. Well, you were there for that. Um, so, you know, (laughs) um, that I had a lot of trepidation about taking that step. It was a big step. Um, it involved, you know, a lot of pieces that I was not familiar with. Um, but it just felt very clear that that was the next step of the, in the path. And so while I don't feel like I had everything mapped out, um, that next step was clear. Um, because at a certain point, it's also that kind of feeling of, you know, what if you don't take this path and, and can you watch, um, this business pass into somebody else's hands who may not feel as passionate about it, who may not, um, be as, as focused on it, um, and who's not necessarily integrated into the team and wants to keep this team together. Um, so it is kind of that, I have to say that it, it, it was partly, um, inspiration of wanting to take Ahimsa, um, you know, different directions, but it was also, you know, partly that, um, it felt like it made sense, um, even if I couldn't see everything that would come with it. How did you keep yourself so grounded when like roadblocks would come up? Because I obviously was there for a lot of this stuff so I could see it. But for everybody who isn't able to see it and didn't know the story, because I think a lot of people think, oh, well, I just bought a business and it was great. And like now it's growing and it's flourishing. But that there's so much that goes into like actually buying the business from like having that communication back and forth and like being a little bit afraid that the owner is going to pull back or mm-hmm. that the you know attorneys are gonna get into it or that you're not going to have enough money and the funding and all of that stuff. Like it, it's a huge undertaking that it 
takes a lot of faith and trust and a lot of grounding to believe that the process is going to work itself out. So how would you say that you were able to do all of that, stay grounded and just believe that that process was going to work itself out? Well, surrounding yourself in a good team that you trust um, is critical. Um, Finding the right um, person to work on financing, and that was was clearly you. Um, And that was a huge piece of it. Um, and also finding a lawyer who you trust, you know, you have to have a core team that when they give you advice, um, you, you feel like it's coming from smart, competent people. And I was very lucky to find, um, you know, you and a group of other women who, um, when they, that I knew also had their eye on the ball. Um, and that when they steered me in a direction, I could trust that that was the direction to go. That's awesome. So two things that I heard was one, to find competent people surrounding yourself with. Again, my my whole message on this is like quality people, right? Like knowing that the people that you put in these places have a solid idea of what you need. But also like the other thing, which is huge, um, is being able to relinquish control to know that whatever that person is telling you to do that it's in your best interest and to just make sure that you execute to that. Because that's something that's really difficult, especially when you're in a place where you have no idea what's coming next. You have no idea how to plan or prepare for it. And so I think, um, and especially for somebody like you, um, the idea that you can find somebody who can lay out your next steps say, hey, this is what we're going to do and this is what's going to you know, happen next. Um, and just to be prepared for it so that I think for women especially, naturally being prepared for that st- next step so that nothing really blindsides you is really huge. Would you agree? Yes, I would agree. Uh, because buying a business is not usually something we all have experience with as a, as a you know, business owner. It's not something you do a few times, you know, usually it's something that you're in it for the first time. You need to rely on other people who have seen this process unfold um, and can give you advice about what you need to do. And, and, and there are compromises involved. And it's never a smooth, clean process. Um, the lawyer at one point told me that um, she's never done one of these deals where the person selling the business ever felt like they were getting enough money. They're basically selling their baby. And it's always a very difficult process. Um, and she's never dealt with it where the person buying it isn't, doesn't have trepidation about what they're getting handed is, and, and often feels like they're not getting enough information. And she's like, those are, you know, emotions are definitely part of the process and, um, kind of having somebody who can set out, you know, acknowledge those and set out realistic expectations um, of the process is really helpful. So what's interesting to me too is that there are a lot of different routes that people go to when they're looking at purchasing a business or even starting their business. And you know, one of the things that I can definitely appreciate about you is your ability to be prepared. Um, and it's not like you were coming from a ton of money that was flying in from the sky. Um, there was definitely structuring that needed to happen. But it was interesting because even before I had stepped in, you were taking a look at different routes in terms of purchasing your business, right? Like you were looking at some private money and people who wanted to believe in the project. And ultimately, you decided to go towards the banking route. So 
what made you decide to go from the private stuff to the banking route? And like, do you regret or do you like the decision that you've made? Um, I'm really glad I ended up going the banking route. Um, it wasn't a route that I had seriously considered um, before meeting you. Um, but you made a lot of sense with having it be in some ways cleaner money, you know, the not having, you know, and um, also being able to build um, credit and a track record of financial um, success that I can then leverage to, you know, we've just expanded, um, hopefully leverage that into buying a building, um, basically kind of making it more of a um, adulting decision from the beginning <laughs> where, where um, you know, there were their annual financial checks, um, things had to make sense from the start. And, and, you know, again, as we circle back to kind of expand on that, having that, you know, loan in place will hopefully be easier to get the next loan. Right. Do you feel like, what do you feel would be different if you had gone the other route? Um, I know that because I was approaching a few different investors, um, it was structuring it so that the payoffs were happening. I think there would have been a lot more handholding and a lot more emotional energy that would have taken away from getting my feet under me running the business. The business has this whole other back end that I had no experience with, and there's been a steep learning curve especially because a lot of um, how Ahimsa is run is based on um, a lot of custom computer coding to make it work. And we did a complete website overhaul um, that part that did not go well and then uh, had to be redone. And that, that part did go well. Um, but it would have just, it would have been a big distraction to have, um, to have, taken out probably less than we needed to cover initial costs and also to um, keep reassuring people that things were okay. Um, when I was also feeling a bit overwhelmed by all of the new things I needed to learn. And that's such a great point. And I totally appreciate that because what people don't understand is it's one thing to have to reassure investors, but reassuring investors while trying to reassure yourself and trying to run the business. There's so much emotional angst in that, right? Like, yeah. That, that's just crazy. <laughs> having to like articulate, I'm confident this is going to work. And then talking to somebody else and then like having to come back and be like, oh crap, what did I just do? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not good at bluffing. I am not, I am a, you know, Chess is more of my game than poker. Let me put it that way. Right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, what I love about this is the fact that you went from being a trainer to owning the business, right? And not just owning the business, but really growing the business. Like, There's so much to be said about how much you have grown in the last couple of years since you've taken over. And to see, and I know that I can't share any of this stuff, but to see the financials and to see how much Ahimsa has grown and to see the type of confidence that you have in running your business. And granted, it's always going to be a little crazy, right? But to be able to expand into new space and to look at purchasing a building from being initially an employee, right? That's huge. Like it's like my, I, it's my one of my favorite stories. Yeah, I mean, Himsa though really is kind of a 
it's definitely a group effort. It's not, it's definitely a lot of like good, sharp people day in, day out, bringing their best game. So, and, and most of us do function kind of almost like we've all, most of, we all function fairly independently. Um, and so when I hear all that, I also think like it definitely wasn't, you know, just me, like by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it's, it's definitely, it was more, I think the bigger piece was just having somebody, you know, more on site, um, and who's, you know, who's seeing kind of the pieces, um, that needed to be fixed and, and also seeing kind of the, um, the client kind of like, how do we need to respond? What do our clients want? How do we need to respond to them? Um, it, we, I guess, yeah, sorry, rambling. Cause I didn't really, you know, when I hear it that way, I'm like, yeah, it's definitely not just me. It was like Ahimsa, Ahimsa already had that potential in it. It was more about trying to support that potential um, than me actually like doing a huge, you know, reorg or anything. So I can appreciate what you're saying, but I'm going to ask you a, a question that'll probably throw you off a little bit. <laughs> Do you feel like you have a little bit of an imposter syndrome? Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I would say that I would fall into that category <laughs> with a lot of, you know, other people, but I think, I also think that it's, there's so many competent people on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's such a team effort. Um, you know, there is that piece of like, could somebody else take it over and run it even better? I don't know. You know, sometimes I, I don't know. I often, I really do see Ahimsa as a trust, um, and I do see it as something that, you know, like I want to give my best to and, and I want to, you know, move over a bit if there are other people who can do pieces better, you know, if, if that makes sense. It does. It, it's interesting because as I, you know, give you some feedback and you're looking at it and I love the way that you think and it's obviously some of the things that have made you extremely successful today, right? It's, it's been amazing watching that journey going from an employee to an owner um, to an operator and now to an owner because you're in a place where you're like, hey, you know, I'm not struggling. I've got my bearings, some of my bearings with me. Um, sometimes it's a little chaotic, but it, it's really transitioned to like, okay, now we're going to go do like some serious adulting and we're going to go find a building and we're going to go and take a look at having some of these really, you know, we've gone past having strong, hard conversations as an operator to, hey, this is an owner and how do we expand this and how do we make this more visible and how do we serve this mission of training dogs in, in a healthy, positive manner. And it's just beautiful to see that growth. And again, so glad to be a part of this journey and to see how somebody could have a dream and have it really come to full fruition, knowing that they believe in their own product. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I guess from an out, yeah. <laughs> I, guess, I guess I should learn to just say, you know, thanks. It definitely, it always just, you know, every morning I really do feel like I'm just like, I'm relying on so many other people who, you know, believe in this and want the best for you know, the dogs and clients we work with. And, and, and even on that side, we're so, and I mean, we're so lucky about the people who choose a himself. Yeah. 
about some of the issues they're dealing with. And at a certain point, we just kind of shut up because we're like, oh, yeah. You know, we are very lucky that we have a lot of people who show up with their dogs and like really show up, you know, want these dogs to be part of their family, want them to be well-behaved, adopt dogs who have behavior problems, knowing that they have behavior problems or getting surprised, you know, (laughs) the dog's like, the check cleared. This is actually how I feel about things. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it's been an amazing journey, but it's, it's, you know, we're, we're able to be where we're at because of all the amazing people who are on board. Again, not only working at Ahimsa, but people who choose Ahimsa. What do you feel are some of your little tricks of the trade to keep all of your people so engaged? Um, you know, it really, it's, it's about choosing the right people. Um, that has definitely been a lesson in these last two years, um, of getting a strong enough culture to know when people are a culture fit and knowing when they're not. Um, and also realizing that some people may not be there forever. That's been hard because the initial group of trainers, um, who Grisha brought on board, a lot of them are still at Ahimsa. Um, and, um, it's been hard to say goodbye to people who've like decided to move on to other things. Um, and then also to sometimes include people who may not be there for the very long term, who are, who are kind of at Ahimsa for a while. And we appreciate the gifts they're bringing. Um, but knowing that they may not be fully integrating into the team, uh, really for us, that's been the biggest lesson. And I know everybody says, choose the right people, but it's harder than it. It's, it's harder than it's You know, it's like, how, how do you know what is the right fit um, at first? And how do you make your culture strong enough to recognize um, when people aren't the right fit to kind of be like, yeah, this isn't a match. So tell me a little bit about that. How have you gone from where you initially were to where you're at right now in terms of like selecting that process? Um, so we really had to build in regular check-ins um, and really look at how have we brought people successfully from um, I've got some training experience to um, I have enough training experience to teach to be in a variety of classes to I can now teach classes and really looking at the steps, the, the skills that go into that. And then with each of our new team members, we check in with them 15, 20 minutes um, every week and talk about what's going well and what's, what's still challenging and what are their goals and what are, what do we have for them? Um, and kind of having those conversations on a regular basis rather than doing them kind of as a once a month or every six months or once a year kind of, it it just wasn't, we we found that those weekly check-ins are very helpful. Are you able to pick up when a person isn't going to last for a while? Like, do you just feel it in the way that they interact with people or is it the communication that you're having with them? Like, how do you know when a person is not going to make it versus when a person is going to make it? Um, in those weekly check-ins, I mean, things come up. Um, so feedback has been the biggest, um, issue that we've run into because we are truly a culture of learning, not a culture of knowing. Um, and so, how people receive feedback and how open they are um, to the feedback and how quickly they can integrate that feedback into how they approach um, the problem next time has been the most telling thing for us. That's been, that's been the make or break. 
Isn't that crazy? It's so funny that you say that because my two big things always been a huge thing for me is one, can you lose the ego? Two, can you really look at understanding what's going on, right? And when I say mm-hmm. understanding, it's like, take a look at the problem, know that it's not just about you, but there's a bigger purpose and it serves a bigger purpose. And are you looking for those ways to be able to implement and make it so that people can cohesively come together and really feel like they're in a place where it's safe and that they're continuing to flourish, right? Yeah, yeah. And definitely, um, we want to be the safe place where people can experiment and people can talk about what's going on and people can learn, but we also expect change. We also expect people to, you know, integrate into the culture of we're respectful of clients, we're respectful of dogs, we're respectful to each other. And that's a pretty strong culture that you have too. Yes. And we don't want, we want to make sure that, and and I know that we're not, you know, we're also open to the feedback of, you know, you didn't get it right over here. You know, because as um, as as we're integrating new employees, we're very, you know, I'm also a new manager. Like that's not, that is not something that, um, that is not a skill set I entered with. Um, and so kind of like, you know, what's working for people on the other end too. We want that kind of, you know, feedback as well. Um, and so people have told us like, hey, it works here and no, this didn't work. And could you talk to me differently here? And, you know, could you put that you know, in an email over here. Um, And so we, and, you know, and, and doing silly things like we're, you know, not silly, but very crucial things that we're finding. Like we now have a puppy camp handbook, you know, thank you, Clara. Um, So that, and and our next meeting is going over the handbook because there's a lot of um, procedures and information that we've developed um, over the last two years. And um, we don't want people saying, you know, how come I'm not doing that thing that you never told me to do? Right. It's funny because the um, it, it's almost like raising your kids, right? Like you don't really know what to expect until you go through the process. And you're like, I've never been a parent before. <laughs> yeah. I'm new to this too. <laughs> it's all trial and error. Yeah. I'm the last of nine. So, you know. <laughs> You got the perfect hand. <laughs> I got, I got, a, I got a better hand than uh, some of the early pancakes. But <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so it's funny because when you think about like you know being a new manager and like owning the business and coming into this role and not having that experience, how did you get people to allow you to make the mistakes? Like, what did you do to make yourself comfortable? Because it has to be really hard. And especially for women where we feel like we have to be so many steps ahead, right? Like you have to know everything, do everything and be perfect. And here you are like straight up, no management experience and, you know, having to learn your way through being an owner and an operator. Um, What did you do to help people be okay with all of that? Um, well, you know, I mean, somebody accused us of having a very dog trainer approach <laughs> to this, which is you do things and then you observe behavior. So you kind of, you know, um, and then nicely with people, you can also ask them, like, how did that work for you? Um, but it was a lot of kind of like, you know, <laughs> reading, reading some books, um, listening to some podcasts, running it by, um, you know, other people who I respect on the team. And then applying it and then observing, like, how did this go? So um, some trial and error, but also being upfront, like, hey, this is a, you know, this is a learning process, you know, being, you know, not, not trying to represent myself as like, we've got this all figured out, I think was also helpful. Um, But 
actually the harder part as we bring new people on board is to actually stand by some things and say, no, we do have this piece figured out. How is it working for you is still valid, but the piece is staying in place. Isn't that crazy, that transition right there? Just that little thing. It's like, okay, we've gone from, I don't know what I'm doing to, I know what I'm doing. Now having to hold and tow that boundary of saying, hey, this isn't going to change but you just created these processes and this implementation and it's like, okay, now I've got to believe in what I've just put in place. Yeah. They're like, no, this, this part's solid. You know, you do need to show up to meetings in person. We don't <laughs> let people phone them in anymore. Um, you know, if you want to be on this team, this is what's required. Um, you know, this, those kind of more like, no, this is what works. And we've, we've had let people, com- you know, we've compromised on some stuff and figured out, nope, that doesn't work but other stuff that people suggested did. So, you know, we're glad we made those adjustments. We're open to feedback, but there are certain things. Yeah. But it's interesting to like go to that place of like, nope, this is, this is how we operate. Um, that was actually a, a harder line to hold yeah. for me because we're, we're pretty flexible. Yeah. Um, that's, that's kind of how we approach things. If there's a yes in there, we try to get to the yes. Would you say that, um, as you're looking at doing all of these different managerial roles, I mean, I know that there was a little bit, and this is a normal shift, right? Where you go from being an employee to still running the team and being an employee because you can't really shortchange the additional body, especially since you were one of the senior, you were the senior trainer on this team. And then to go into managing, and then now as you grow into, you know, overseeing Ahimsa's trajectory. The ability to remove yourself from the things that you absolutely love, which is like playing, you know, training the dogs and whatever else into more of the operational side. Do you find that there's a challenge there, like a a shift? Yeah, there was definitely a challenge there. Um, I have tinkered with what is the optimum number of classes and private lessons. that I can do and still do the managerial piece. And because I find that there is, there's no, I know that there's never going to be a time that I'm not going to want to teach classes and do private lessons and do play times and things. And for me, those also like they, they're a different, they don't um, necessarily draw from the same pool of energy. Um, So there is kind of a, a sweet spot for me, which seems to be somewhere in the range of 12 classes a week plus six private lessons. And then if I cross over, I seem to cut into, you know, the managerial side. Um, But if I go under, it feels like I'm too disconnected from the business. Um, I think at at a certain point, definitely, I want it to be where, you know, I can get hit by a bus and things would just keep chugging along. The people would just absorb my classes and... And nobody would notice really that I was gone. You know, they would just put a little, you know, RIP on my little, you know, under my bio and and keep going and keep going. Um, That is the, that is definitely the goal that, you know, that I could drop out of the line and and Ahimsa would just keep moving because otherwise kind of, you know, you know, it it, it should be its own entity. Um, I would hate to think that I was so pivotal that if something happened, it, it couldn't just, you know, keep soldiering on with maybe a little minor hiccups. But yes, um, pulling out enough days a week to focus on other things to make sure that we're meeting our long-term goals, that that was a challenge because I will always be the one who wants to step in and just say, I'll cover that for you. Oh, no problem. I'll do that for you. Oh, no. Yeah. 
um, it's a transition. That, that is definitely a, yeah, that was definitely a transition. It's funny because it, it kind of goes into, and in your world, it's a little bit different because it's the dog training. It's that's your creative, right? Like where other people have creatives like, Oh, you know, I want to draw, I want to write, I want to do certain things. Yours is actually training dogs. And so it's like, if you don't maintain that part of it and that's the passion part for you, right? That's the stuff that Uh fuels you and makes you want to go and do more things. And then you're like, Oh, I got to go and be an adult now. And I have to go and actually do do the actual work because nobody else is going to do it. And knowing that you have to be able to have those hours to be able to keep you grounded so that you can actually feel the work that you need to feel, which is the long-term vision and the goal and the Mm -hmm. moving and transitioning Ahimsa to bigger, better things, which is interesting. Yeah. And it is almost, um, the nice thing also about dog training, it is, um, you know, evenings, weekends. So I can justify it a little more of like, you know, I have my day job and I have my weekend job. (laughs) I try to kind of separate out those two hats, but also remembering, like, I really do feel like staying in it helps me relate to the challenges that trainers face if there's a dog who's not on your roster or, you know, those little, also those things are like, yeah, not, or not, I'm not, not loving how this fence moves, you know, that kind of thing. The little, the things that, you know, I keep trying to remember the, the, the thing I keep looking at. Um, I have a lot of little corny things that I will now admit to also. Um, <laughs> where, you know, I try to remember the phrase, we all want to do our best work. Mm-hmm. That like, we all want to show up and do our best work. And there are little things that can get in the way and big things that can get in the way. But, you know, what rocks in our shoes can we remove? How can we make processes smoother? You know, and I feel like also staying in the mix helps me stay in touch with those little things that can become a big deal when, you know, you're trying to give your best to the client or trying to even, you know, do things like set up for playtime and the equipment's not working as smoothly as it should, or the roster, you know, the systems that we use aren't working as smoothly as they should, you know, fixing those little things can make a big difference. Yes. For sure. I love it just because it's, if it, if I had to make it equivalent to like the regular sales world, it would be a sales manager who actually still produces and still runs his team, right? Leading by example, because you're actually in it. You can walk the walk, talk the talk, and you know currently what's going on and what the challenges are. Whereas a lot of people get into a place where, and it's not bad, but a lot of people get into a place where they've been so removed from like the the sales force or the, you know, for you, the dog training world that they don't remember what those nuances are. So you can't really teach to it. You can't really understand it. And eventually you'll get to a point where you're able to have a team who's able to do that for you. But it's nice because as you're growing, it's the rolling up your sleeve, getting into it and understanding that it's a part of it. Granted, you absolutely love that part of it and probably stay there if you could. (laughs) But it's great because it's about the different stages, right? But definitely being connected with your team because you're in it. And I think that there's an inherent amount of trust that goes into you because you're in it with your team. Like they see you doing the work. Um, I hope so. Um, again, you know, I mean, even hearing like that phrase, like you're the senior trainer, it's like, yeah, it's funny. Cause a lot of us definitely joined again at the same time. So I'm always like, Oh, there's that. It's definitely, I think for me, there's that mixed role of I'm asking people to do things that hopefully they also know that I would step up and do. Um, and I'm hoping they, you know, that people around me speak up around things that could make their lives easier, but ultimately 
you know, I am saying like, you know, hey, can you, know, can you teach an eight o'clock class at night? Can you, uh, yes, you know, we need you on weekends. You know, I feel like I ask a lot and therefore I should also step in. Yeah. So going into this space, right, being a woman-owned business, do you feel like there was a lot of resources to support you along the way? Were you ever worried that there wasn't enough resources to support you on the way? And um, looking back at it now, what would you say um, to yourself before you had started this journey, knowing what you know now? You know, the, you know <laughs> I might have said the truth is out there. Um, <laughs> like, um, I find actually that there are a lot of people who are willing to help. Um, it's kind of trying to figure out what you need to be asking and what to look for and what's actually getting in the way. I have found that if I'm not acting on something, there's usually something that's bothering me that is, um, at the core of me not wanting to move forward and identifying that and answering those questions rather than staying stalled. You know, I wish I'd, so I would just get, um, angry at myself for being stalled and procrastinating. But I think if I could have told myself one thing before, it'd been like, look at why you're procrastinating and get the answer so that you can move forward. That is and, so huge. Um, yeah, I, and um, because I'm not a natural entrepreneur, I'm not a natural um, kind of, you know, things will all be fine, let's just charge ahead. Um, I'm definitely kind of, I'm definitely on the warrior anxious side of life um, where I need a lot of questions answered before I'll be like, you know, that, that looks like a safe step. And so, again, I guess we talked earlier about, like, you know, what a brave step it was to buy a HIMSA, but at that point, it, it felt like just the right next step. And even though there were a lot of things I did not know, I was like, okay, this is, this is definitely the right thing to do, but I really should have looking for people who can answer the questions and looking for the things that are holding you back. I think that's what I would have been like, you know, focus on those. Yeah, that's huge because a lot of people don't even realize that feeling instead of like ignoring it or pretending that it doesn't exist by acknowledging it quicker, you're able to move faster, right? Like you you would have been mm -hmm. able to come to being unstuck a lot faster and just being able to yeah. move through things. And it, it's yeah. just something that's so common. It's like, oh, well, when it's bad or when it's negative or and when it's something that you don't necessarily feel comfortable with or you know you feel unsettled with it's like let's not pay it any attention because it's just going to go away no it's not going to go away it's going to sit there yeah and yeah again finding the right people to answer the questions and usually you can tell you know when they're giving you you know good advice also i i have to admit i do a lot of gut checking with things and um as we all do um you know as you you know you learn to trust your gut and then, you know, and also making predictions, um, writing down things like, this is how I feel about it. This is how I feel it might be going. And then seeing, did it play out how you thought it was? Or what else, what else was playing into that hope or fear that ne ne wasn't necessarily valid? It's interesting to me because I think one of the things you haven't really touched on, which I've seen you do really well with, is you're really, really good about choosing people to be in your space that see your vision from the website to your attorney and you know even with me and everything else like how do you do that like how do you know i mean every single one of your people that you've hired even from you know the people that you've kept on board 
Like if they see your vision, you're able to work with them and you're able to foster that relationship so that you can essentially do what you need to do. Because a lot of times people will surround themselves with, you know, people who think that they know the answers. And that whole gut checking thing, like that's not normal. You do realize that, right? Like that's a that's a kind of a good skill that you have there because a lot of people don't even do the gut check because they're so worried about getting it wrong that that gut check is usually overpowered by, oh, my mind's telling me to do this, right? And I need to do this. And I'm not really worried about like what my gut thinks because I just need to do this. And this is what is naturally the next step. Because we've gone through everything from, you know, CPAs, bookkeepers to, um, you know, bankers and whatever else. Like there's such a huge network of people that you could choose from and to choose the right people and having, having to be able to select them because they see your vision, right? Like, I don't even know if you realize that, but you definitely do a great job in picking people who know what you want. Trust is huge for me. Um, and so I think it's just a matter of, you know, there's, so, there's a lot of good people out there. Again, I'm just lucky to be in the area, you know, that I'm in. And loving dogs isn't an obscure fetish. (laughs) (laughs) It's not. Um, But not even that, just people who get kind of like where we're going and what we're trying to do. I feel like for me, that's core because um, it informs so many. I, I think, you know, in any decision, there are choices. And if somebody doesn't kind of understand the core of what you're going for, even though they may be very, um, you know, informed, um, it may not be that you get guided to the right choice for your particular business at that particular time. Um, and, you know, even, you know, as you know, renting even more space was, you know, a difficult step in the sense of, you know, do we trust that, you know, it will work out and this is good and it's good for the, you know, but, but having people where you're, you know, who know kind of what your ultimate goals are and know kind of you and what your limitations are or what your priorities are. Um, Cause some people be like, Oh yeah, expanding is always good. Um, but I need, when I'm asking people for advice to know that they see the other pieces and they're giving advice from that place of seeing all the pieces, not just like expansion's always good. Have you run the numbers kind of thing? Right. Because expansion takes the toll on our team. I'm scaring the heck out of our team right now. <laughs> Like, you know, cause we're just opening. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And I'm not, you know, again, you know, knowing me, um, I'm not the one who's like, you know, this is all awesome. You know, <laughs> the, I'm always, you know, we're, I, I think we're always like, okay, so these are the good things. These are the good points. These are the concerns. What are your concerns? You know, how do you know, it's much more of a, um, of an analytical approach, I think, than, uh, than a, you know, let's all get behind and cheer kind of approach. Right. So, Moving forward, and I know that we're running a little bit short on time here, wondering your thought processes on if there was anything that you could do that would make, that people could do that would make a huge impact on how we're living our lives, knowing what you've been through, being an employer, being an employee, having the people that you're surrounded with, what, are, what is one thing that you wish people would do more of to get the most out of their lives? I feel lucky that I get to live authentically. And I think we all want to do that. I think we all want residence in the different parts of our lives. I think as much as we can do that, 
it leads to more peace and happiness. But again, I feel very lucky that I got to go there. It did take a lot of um, work to get to that place and persistence, but there is also a lot of privilege that goes behind that. And I recognize that as well. I love that. I love it because you really embody that. Like the ability to, I mean, who grows up and says, I want to be a dog trainer and I'm going to go and own a dog training school. I mean, there's probably kids that do that, but to know that that's what you are aligned with and you are truly living that life is pretty badass. I heard somebody describe it as trying to, you know, sing the song that resonates with you, but that the world wants to hear. Um, and again, I mean, I feel that the silly admission I'm making today is how many of these hokey little phrases apparently I hang on to and try to live by. But I do find that the phrases and little songs that run through my head are the things that when you asked about what grounds you, those are the things that can help ground me. You know, and so I find sometimes when I'm unconsciously humming a song or repeating a phrase, it's because um, I'm needing to hang on to that to stay grounded in what matters and not get distracted by some of the other things. And so, you know, um, even though, again, it sounds kind of silly, you know, if you, I, I see why people, um, I understand, I love reading people's quotes. Sometimes they put it at the bottom of their emails or, you know, things that end up getting, you know, framed in little, you know, in, in picture frames. I get that. Um, and I find that um, hanging on to those phrases can help you remember, like, you know, why you're doing what you're doing and staying grounded in that um, can be very, can be helpful. Um, and getting enough sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I find that, yeah, that's, that, that, that whole sleep movement, yeah, I'm on board. I'm like, yeah, I don't get enough sleep. And, uh, and when I don't, um, it gets very hard for me to, you know, <laughs> repeat those phrases and not get grumpy. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me today and sharing your story. You have, again, I just love your story. Whenever I'm able to go and share it, I do obviously without a lot of like the additional details, but I'm glad that we got to go and walk through and really explore a little bit more. And I'm really looking forward to seeing Ahimsa grow. I know that you guys have, you guys are featured on a radio station. And if people want to come find you, you're not in Fremont, you're in Ballard or Frallard. Is that what we're Freelard. 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 <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, there's definitely in the show notes will be um, your contact information, how to get a hold of Himsa if you want to bring your dog in to get trained, and so much more. So thank you again for your time and I appreciate you and sharing your story. Thanks. It was good talking to you, Kim. It's always good talking to you. So I love Winona. I get her, she gets me. It works. She's an introvert just as I am, and I speed her along while understanding what she needs to move quickly. To go from working and making a modest income as a dog trainer to providing health insurance for her employees, she has made some incredible headway in growing her business. Winona's attention to detail is bar none. She's the only place you should ever take to train your dog if you're in the greater Seattle area. Ahimsa offers puppy training and more, with the new year adding agility classes for puppies, advanced clicker training class, agility for growly dogs, and with the new space they just picked up, 
some real bougie indoor private rentable dog park for dogs who are apparently introverted that need their own space. Only in Seattle, folks. All joking aside, it's pretty awesome. You can find her online at www.ahimsadogtraining.com and book your classes there. Let them know I sent you, and if you want a coupon, go onto the website and you should be able to download one from there. One of the reasons why I wanted to share Winona's story is because it takes a lot of courage to do what she did. It's easy to say we need to do the responsible thing, which is go and get a corporate job. But when your kid can see the life gets sucked out of you, is that really the responsible thing? Winona didn't come from a lot of money. She didn't get any handouts. She did what she loved and allowed it to guide her. She was relentless in her own way and did the work. She made sure she chose the right team to guide her through the unknown and trusted that process. There's always a hustle. There's always a choice. What we control is the story. The story we create will be reinforced the way we want it to be. It's why being an observer of ourselves and the stories we create can change the game. What is it that we really want to do and are we doing it? I'm hoping that this episode was helpful in shedding light to doing what you want to do versus conforming to societal norms. For all the single parents with no support, this is a testament to what an everyday hero looks like. Follow joy and know that you are deserving and worthy of living your life with what you absolutely love to do. If you found this episode to be helpful, please help this new girl out. Subscribe to Trauma to Triumph in iTunes and leave me a review. If you want to connect even further, come to my site, which is kimbao.co, K-I-M-B-A-O dot C-O, co, not com, and drop me a question or let me know what resonated. There's always room to improve and would love to hear the feedback you have for me and to be able to connect. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you, your insight, your willingness to hear another perspective, to add to your arsenal of amazing tools you already have. Enjoy right now, and we'll see you at the next episode. Much love.